0: Um, the music again was I mean it I mean this was the greatest earworm it really yep. was the hook was just amazing you cannot read the chorus in your head without shouting it in your head. I Like when you read, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You don't read it like that in your head. In your head, you're like, I get knocked down, but right? You just can't help it. That was just so brilliant. I do not know how these anarchist dudes came up with such a brilliant piece of pop music. Hey, welcome back for another episode of How the Was That a Hit? I'm here with my co-host Tim Foster, the actual musician. How you doing, Tim? I'm well, thanks. I'm David Quintana, just a social observer, and we've missed you guys. I don't think we've been in the studio for a little bit, huh? Probably been a month. Yeah, been about a month. Yeah, but we're going to have a really good episode for you guys today. Today we're going to be doing. uh, Well, let me let me set the scene for you. So, September 1997, uh, a song was released, came into the top 100 at 79. November 29th of 1997. Here's what was going on in the United States. The California passed an initiative to get rid of affirmative action. You remember that? I do. I forgot. What was the name of that guy? Uh, Word Word Connerly. Connerly. That's right. Roger Clemens won won his fourth Cy Young Award. Uh, The movie Titanic made its premiere, its cinematic premiere. Um, The top TV shows were Seinfeld and uh, ER was number two. And but the number six song was this. That was Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. And And you all know it. (laughs) Because everyone does. You probably don't know the name. Like a lot of people don't know the name. But obviously if you clicked on this, you probably knew the name. Uh, But you know what? That was a horrible time for music. I looked at the top five. Let me give you the top five songs in front of Chumbawamba. And it just gets me really upset that it didn't make number one. But number five was My Body by LSG never heard of it yeah me neither uh my love is the shh by something for the people couldn't pick it out of a crowd no uh number three was how do i live by leanne rhymes I, I know who song, i know who she but... is i don't know the song number two you make me wanna by usher It eh, he was fine for the moment but utterly forgettable and number one was candle in the Bo- in the wind a reboot Ah. Uh. Elton John's reboot, he decided to score some money off of a dead uh, dead princess. Yeah, I was gonna
1: say she died right there. So. Yeah,
0: and so he scored a lot of money. Um but yeah, that that was the year, man. Like, and I was looking at the whole top twenty. It was horrific. Boys to men, like in some of their forgettable, you know, slow songs. It was just a really, really bad time, you know. And I got to say,
1: my timing was perfect because I don't know that I turned commercial radio on once in oh,
0: 1997. You know what? I'm sure I did. Probably wasn't worth it. Yeah. After looking at this top 20, was not worth it. But Chumbawamba, which was a working class anarchist band out of Leeds yeah. in the United Kingdom, they uh they came up with the number six hit and maybe the most memorable hit out of that entire top 20. People today, we had, I was talking to a 24-year-old earlier today, and I said, do you know the song Tub Something? She said, no. And I go, I get knocked down, but I get up again." She goes, oh, yeah, I love that song. Everyone knows
1: that Everyone song. Everyone knows that even song. Even I, who probably didn't turn on commercial radio once in 1997,
0: knew that song. Chumba Wumba got the last laugh. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. Even on, even on Candle in the Wind. I don't think a lot of people know Campbell in the wind. I mean, a lot of a lot of women over the age of 60 know Campbell in the wind. But I don't think 23-year-olds know Campbell in <laughs> the wind. You
1: know what? I bet you they do.
0: You know, the great story, the great thing about this story of the hunting and jumbo Bumpa is that it's like Star Wars. It's like it's like a journey.
1: Yeah. Like and there's
0: a definite beginning, a definite middle, and a definite end. And honestly, they get their they get their pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I, I like this one. I was like, I don't know where this is gonna go. And after I, you know, did all my research, I was like, this is a good one.
1: You know, and I gotta say, like, again, as a person who was never really into pop radio at that time, that song really stood out. I had cured when I go shopping uh-huh. or you heard over the the radio in the mall or whatever. And it stood out and it was weird, even though it was not weird in the way that their earlier records had been or their earlier music was it was weird compared to everything else and it definitely has sort of this chaotic element to it that is so charming it makes it work
0: yeah it does well let's talk about their name. so how okay. did they get their name like all good anarchist bands they were busking in Paris um, <laughs> which of course I think you have to do right to get accepted into the anarchist band uh, movement and so they were busking in Paris and of course there were some North Africans who were busking with them they decided to join and being the good, you know, anarchists they were, they were like, yeah, join us. We love your music. We shall, you know, make music together. And so they did. And so the North Africans would be humming, not humming, but they would chant Chum uh, Chum de Chum Chum Ba hmm. And they were like, oh, I like that. I like that. And again, as a good anarchist band, they're like, that doesn't mean s***. Let's adapt it. Right? You know, yeah. let's call ourselves, you know, whatever. We have to remember, four of the five members came from a punk group called Chip Eats Banana. Yep, but also four of the Vibe members. But if you look at their Wikipedia pages, probably
1: like 15 members. dude, Because people were going in and out. Because it was, again, it was more of a collective than yeah, a, was. a band. But I mean, the other it was thing I love it, is that they also would switch instruments. You know, like we'd see them at one show and they'd have a lineup of the people would be playing instruments. And then you'd see them again and they would have switched and the drummer all of a mm-hmm. sudden would be playing the guitar or vice versa. And they were just like, yeah, so? I mean, the Beatles weren't doing that. I mean, they were on the record. But, you know, live, you didn't see, you know, suddenly Ringo playing the bass. Well,
0: they, they, they felt like they wanted something that had an edge to it. So they felt that they, they felt Chumba Wumba was snappier off the tongue. <laughs> so they adapted Chumba Wumba. Apparently were, it was. And they were they were joined by a vocalist. She was not in Chimp Eats Banana. Kind of cool name yeah um she was a vocalist on her own and she came and she's the woman if you've seen the video for tub something that's the woman that you see doing the singing mm-hmm. her name was lou watts um so she joined um they were part of and you might be familiar with this because you come from that hardcore scene they were what they called part of the cassette culture Yeah. Where they were and so after you know, they started in nineteen eighty-two, right? So they had started like fifteen years before they had their hit. Exactly. And they They paid their dues. Yeah, they did. Like you said, they were they were living, they were squatting in a house in Leeds, collective food, you know, they would all write together. They would get pissed off at somebody, go write a song, and then go join a protest and play the song. Yeah. Like that was kind of their life. But so they had formed a long time, fifteen years before they had their hit. Um but they, after a while, they began showing up on a lot of these cassette culture compilations.
1: So, and just so cassette culture, and I'm not sure that I'm going to define this the way other people might, but to my understanding, cassette culture was really about trading cassettes. Because if you are old enough to remember what it was like to have a cassette player, suddenly you had autonomy. You bought a record, like a vinyl 45 or a vinyl LP. What was on your listing machine was preset. You couldn't change what was on your 45 or on your LP. However, once you got a cassette player, you could dub things onto the cassettes. So you could make your own albums. You could take up, you know, a song from the Beatles and then tape right next to it a song from, you know, Elton John or Chumbawamba or whoever, and also you could tape your own music. It was very affordable to make uh, cassette dubs and then to get rid of them and you could give them away or sell them for next to nothing cutting out the need for a label you could, it's much harder to press a vinyl record on your own it could be done but it like it took a lot of uh uh of inlay up front and that wasn't the case so with this cassette trading thing it was a big thing plus it was very much an fu to the music companies mm-hmm. like hey we're not filing any ownership on this we're not paying any rights nobody's like making any money off this there's no middleman so that's that's where they were coming from definitely like fitting right into the anarcho kind of concept there
0: yep and so they started getting a big following because they would constantly be appearing now on these um you said these these compilations on these cassettes that were passed around and sold at flea markets and sold at concerts yeah right um, and by by the mid 80s they actually created their own record label because um, they decided to move to vinyl and it was called Agit Prop Records it was the Agit Prop label mm-hmm. and here's what's interesting about how on brand these guys were I don't know how many of our listeners remember but in the mid 80s there were a bunch of musicians got together and did a thing called Live Aid and it was about all the starvation in Africa and um, they had a song called Feed the World right yep. and so True to brand, Chumbawamba immediately ran to the studios and cut a song called Pictures of Starving Children Sells Records. Yep. And um, because that's who they were.
1: Yeah, they basically said, hey, you're you're giving money to people so they can eat. That's great. However, you're not addressing the underlying that's capitalist right. problem that creates
0: starving children. That's right. So f*** off. That was exactly you know, that was exactly so, their point. Yeah, they weren't big, they weren't being mean to the kids. What they were saying, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your 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 little feel good, exactly. right, is undermining the real the real underpinnings of these problems. Exactly. And then in 1987, there was a uh, a ferry accident. In, it's called the Zebra uh, ferry accident. Uh, you know, a lot of people got killed. And of course, immediately, the musicians in Britain came together and created something called Ferry Aid. Um, and so, again, once again, true to brand, Chumbawamba got their little legal pens or pads out, wrote down some lyrics, ran to the studio, and they cut "Scab Aid" uh, as a reaction to "Fairy Aid." Because, again, they were saying, yeah, you know, you're just trying to sell records off the backs of people who are supporting these people. They don't keep up these fairies in a safe condition. And, right. So, you know, they they believe their
1: man. They never sold out. I mean, they got accused of selling out from the beginning to the end. They were living their ideals. And not a lot of bands or you know performing artists you can say that have actually done that.
0: And so in the late 80s and the early 90s, they began to move to a more rave and techno style. Um, You you can hear hints of that in the hit that we're going to talk about, Tub Thumping. Um, But they actually moved much further afield for that song. Um, But they began to sell at a consistent rate, right? So from what I've, you know, what I understand is that every one of the releases now usually hit about 10,000. Yeah. Um, And so, and, and remember, they owned the label, so they didn't have to... You know share it between all these guys they actually you know they kept the money and they didn't have to worry about that 360 stuff the contracts um so they began to pop up in the bottom of the charts which is good for a band like that yeah you know for a cassette culture band to start showing up at like number 84 that's pretty good
1: yeah Uh, considering you're you're probably sticking the record inside the sleeve yourself, and then shipping it to yeah. you know you know Joe Bob in the North of England. That's pretty impressive.
0: That, that, that was impressive. And so small labels started you know taking a look at what they were doing on their own label, Adit Prop, and they were starting to sell and showing up and bubbling around and on charts, and and so One Little Indian approached them, uh, which was a small independent label, yeah. and uh, they signed with One Little Indian. And they began to, again, continue. And you know the music industry. I mean, is that kind of how it works? You just start moving? Well, I mean,
1: normally one doesn't start a band and then 13 years later you're bubbling (laughs) under on the charts. But... You know,
0: uh, in theory, yes. You yeah. Know. You go to an independent label, right. you get a little more.
1: Certainly did in the old days.
0: I don't know that's the way it is now. But. Yeah, I mean that's really what the game is: yeah. the distribution. Right. Yeah. You get distributed amongst a much broader audience, and so they did well, right? They were starting to do well for for a cassette culture band. Exactly. They were doing very well, um, and then the big guy, EMI, comes around, yeah. and EMI is the you know major major label, and EMI approached them, but here was a, there was a problem with this because we have told you how on-brand this band is and how they speak truth to power in their own way. And I think they had done something about EMI before that, right?
1: Yeah, I think I, I can't say for sure, but I think the song may have been EMI.
0: That was the song. Yeah, and
1: they basically had a problem with the way EMI was, you know, one of some of the arms of their business were, you know, inappropriate, according to Chumbawamba. And so they're basically like, hey, f*** And so... Later they get approached by EMI who said, Hey, by the way, the things you didn't like about the way we we're doing is we've we cut off that arm of our business. You know, we wanna we wanna partner with you and and as I understand it, they said, Hey, you know what, in a capitalist society, every record label is gonna be capitalist. But at least if we go with the big one, we can make more money and we can use that money to fund the causes that we care about. Yeah. Which they did.
0: It's pragmatic. Yeah. You're pretty pragmatic. Um, you're right. They, they you're exactly right. I signed with a group that <laughs> said it was on a compilation yeah and they're 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 uh they're part of that compilation was a song called fucking my because they didn't like what they were invested in yeah um so what's really funny though is that their their fellow anarchist punk bands did not take this well and in of course fact they put together a compilation <laughs> and on the compilation there was a song that was uh titled Barefaced faced hypocrisy sells records which was <laughs> yeah. reaching back to their song, right? About about Live Aid and um, yeah. a big hit at Chumbawamba.
1: And so, fair enough. I mean, you know, like when you set yourself up as holier than thou, people were gonna throw stones. So that's the way that goes.
0: But I kinda like what they're saying. I mean, sure. I don't know if it's true.
1: I mean, I do like what they're saying, but you also gotta understand like, they're like, oh, you got me, <laughs> <I know.
0: laughs>
1: you, you got me. It was <laughs> their only option. Yeah. Well,
0: we're doing it so we can spread the message. Exactly. <laughs> okay, whatever. But this was in 1997 when they when they um, signed with EMI. and of course by the end of that year they were at number six in the United States, at number two in Great Britain, um, number
1: one in Australia,
0: <laughs> number one in Ireland. Oh, which of course they would be with "Danny Boy," right? In the yeah. title, got to be number one.
1: Yeah, "Danny Boy." "Danny Boy's a big part of that song. In oh, you said in the title?
0: No, no, no. Oh. I, well, I meant in the words. Yeah, got it. Okay. In the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tub thumping came around. So tub thumping is actually a British term.
1: Yeah, it's a term for campaigning. It's a political campaigning Correct. is tub thumping. And uh, so it's all, it's all very on brand. I mean, it's very much on brand for what they've been doing all along. But, you know, they had expanded what they were doing. I mean.
0: So the, the genesis of that song is, and you, as you know, as I mentioned a minute ago in the lyrics, you know, there's the Danny Boyd part. Um but so Boff Whaley, who was a guitarist, he had a neighbor. He and his wife would, every, every, every weekend, their neighbor, who was an Irish guy, would come home from the bar drunk, like, you know, one in the morning, and he would walk down the sidewalk, he would fall down, fall down, start singing Dan- Danny Boy, and then <laughs> yell for his wife. Kind of like Fred Flintstone with the Wilma, right? Yeah. And he would just, he would sing Danny Boy. I mean, could you get more tropes? Yeah. in one like live
1: action handicap,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. so that, that was part of it that all worked itself but his point was this was a guy who was an earnest hard working guy yeah and yeah that's what he did he had a lager drink he had a you know whatever drink and he's saying Danny boy but you know what when it came time to go and grind it out like a working man with his working man integrity he yep. did it I know, I know, I know. The working class man, and that, so even in this song, though you don't know it, yep. it's rife with with politics, right? With class yeah. politics.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. Well, basically, I think everything I ever did probably was, and
0: you know, and I,
1: that has a long history. There's a lot of music out there that you would have no idea from the music or the, the lyrics what it's really about. I mean, one of the most famous examples is a song that was retitled "Sukiyaki," it was a Japanese song instrumental a, a Japanese song rather and they couldn't understand the lyrics in America so they retitled Tsukiyaki actually was about the youth political movement in Japan <laughs> and it's like America's never picked up on that obviously because they couldn't speak Japanese and they totally missed it and they just said oh it's this novelty exotica thing it was actually sort of a, a you know touching song about a political movement and so I mean there's a lot of examples of that where where things are going on I mean again uh, we talked about uh Red Balloon, 99 Red Balloons, which uh, no one really knew what that was about. Right. But it was another right. song, a vaguely political, mm-hmm. you know, in another language.
0: Yeah. so Yeah. I mean, in this one, if you break it down, if you if you actually break it down, you know their background, and then you read the lyrics, you're like, oh, I get it. It's about the working man. Yeah. Who's out there busting his ass, trying to do what he can do to find a little and joy in life. And the
1: system is knocking him down. Yeah. And he gets right back
0: up. I'm seeing Danny Boy, though. Go to sing danny boy there you go (laughs) or you can hand in your irish card um the music again was i mean it i mean this was the greatest earworm it really was the hook was just amazing you cannot read the chorus in your head without shouting it in your head Like when you read, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You don't read it like that in your head. In your head, you're like, I get knocked down. But, right, you just can't help it. That was just so brilliant. I do not know how these anarchist dudes came up with such a brilliant piece of pop music. Well, let's take a little sideline. And I think the lesson we learn here
1: is that what we think of as talent you know I mean? The, the general idea that people have about talent is like, oh, you're a talented person, just this magic thing that you were gifted with. I mean, that occasionally, there is some talent that, that plays a role. Either you, you know, like, a lot of times talent having two parents that actually care about music. That's one, one way to get born with musical talent. But I mean, these people work their off. They were at this for 15 years. They were living in a squat and I don't know, How many of our listeners have ever been to a squat? I've been to a lot of squats. (laughs) A squat is an abandoned building that you say, you know what, I'm gonna go live there. And in Europe, the rules are different here, there than they are here. And if no one kicks you out, eventually that squat is yours. And so, a lot of times squats don't have running water, they don't have heat, they sometimes don't have electricity, they don't have gas, I mean, it is an abandoned building that you're living in, and maybe you can, you know, get some water to it and electricity to it probably, but maybe not. And maybe someone cleans it, maybe not. Maybe if the roof starts to cave in, there's no one there is gonna fix it because no one really owns it. So it's like, these people are so committed to what they're doing. They're living in a squat. They're splitting all the money they get, which ain't much for the first 15 years anyway. Mm-hmm. And they're what they're doing though is they're totally committed to their music and their movement. And how do you come up with a song like Chumbawamba? You spend f- 15 years grinding it out in front of audiences. And let me tell you, punk rock audiences, especially in England, are not the most charitable, like, oh, let's just see what they have. they like, they don't like it. They're going to let you know. And so they were learning. Imagine 15 years of that, of like mm-hmm. going on, the, putting it on the line every day. And so Chumbawamba were just finessing what they did and working it and working it and eventually, that work paid off. It did. I mean, there was some luck involved, obviously, but I mean, it wasn't all
0: luck. And we have to admit that would not have happened on one little Indian label. No, it, probably it not. It wouldn't have got the distribution. It wouldn't have got the support. Yeah,
1: very unlikely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So moving to the big label did help them get out there, and you know, and they stay true to the brand at the at the at the British Awards. They uh, they poured oh, yeah. they pour beer on the top of one of the uh, executives'
1: heads? Uh, no, I think it was an elected. And I think they, they poured a whole bucket of water, ice water, on his head right. at the table. I think he was a uh, British elected official. Yes. And, you know, it was a big scandal. The other thing I love that they did, keeping it true to the tape culture roots, is they're being interviewed in America and, and they said, you know, well, yeah, if you can't afford our CD in the record store, just steal it. That's fine. That's right. And we're totally on board with totally that. Up, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, this is like, yeah. like f- the capitalist system. You know, yeah. If you know, just steal it. That's fine.
0: And, and then, it, it, that was beautiful, and Virgin Records had to then put all the Chumbawamba albums behind the desk.
1: Yeah, which I'm, I assure you was a marketing tool. It's not like every Chumbawamba <laughs> fan yeah, was like, right. I'm going to go steal this. Yeah, you know, there's yeah, not yeah. like this, you know, the zombie horde of, of yeah. Chumbawamba fans going in. To uh, pickpocket, or you know, I mean, to uh, to five finger discount, help uh, something.
0: And then the other, the other thing they did that I really loved, again, true to brand, you got to love this group. What they did was in two thousand, because people have been. I mean, how can you not? It is so anthemic, and it is such a such a you know, it, the chant of that chorus is just so you know, just so amazing. And um, so everybody always wanted to use it in their commercials, right? And they were denying people commercials, denying people commercials. Nike. Uh, Nike, they took, yeah, for a lot of money.
1: Million and a half bucks, yeah. Yeah, Which in 1997 was not chump change.
0: Yeah, but finally they got smart, right? And instead of turning down a million and a half from Nike, they had another song, Pass It Along, and um, GM wanted to use it. And they were like, yeah, okay, fine, we'll do it. It wasn't as much as Nike was going to give them. Right. It was about $100,000. And what they did was they then donated that money directly to anti GM uh groups um if you hear them now of course you know they released about six albums after that none of them ever did as well as that i mean it, you really couldn't i mean they hit gold that song for every every part of that song was gold and um they eventually broke up in 2012 2002 yeah, 30
1: 12 uh 2012 because it was 30th yeah. anniversary uh-huh or, i mean you know
0: they called it a day yep yeah. and
1: they're all happy like yeah. they're all happy. They're like hell, and isn't... not rich, by the way. They're not not rich. No, they. I mean, they gave all their money away, basically.
0: Yeah, they they yeah. were like, yeah, man, it gave us the money to give to the causes that we believe in, to elevate the voices that we believe should be elevated. And isn't that the point of art to be heard? Yeah. And so we were heard by a ton of people.
1: Chumbawamba was like, we want to get our message and our music heard, and we're gonna we're gonna have to cross some lines to do that, but we're gonna stay true to ourselves. Which I feel like they did. I feel they did too.
0: You know, you know, on on what you just said, I there's some YouTuber, I forget what her name is, but she had this this um this phrase that I really loved because she was talking about authors. And authors who were like, well, I don't want to get published. You know, I don't want to get published. And I don't want to deal with the, you know, the man in the publishing industry. And she was like, look, if you're writing and you're not publishing, it's a diary.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> that it was
0: like, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. totally. And the, the thing is, a lot of people, I think they will say that, but down deep. Down deep. Yeah. They're afraid that if they put it out there, someone will go, this is garbage. Or it's, or even worse yeah. than a garbage, it's mixed. It's okay. No one wants, there's nothing, I'd rather somebody hate my record than say, oh yeah, that's that's okay. Oh, you're, you did that? Oh, I think I've heard that. Oh, I mean like, just kick me in the face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what a horrible thing. Like, oh yeah, I, yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. Like, you know, that's a hard thing. You know, you put your heart and soul into this, but you know, if you're gonna make it or you're gonna actually change the world or you're gonna be a part of the dialogue of culture, you have to put it out there. So. Yeah,
0: I agree. And they did. And that's why I like this story. I didn't know how much I would like it before we got into it when we decided to do it. The more I did it, I, this might be one of my favorites because it has a – the hero has a beginning. The hero has a journey. And the hero has an end. And at the end of the movie, he's walking off into the sunset, satiated. He's happy. He, you know, he got – if he wanted the girl, he's got the girl. If he wanted the horse, he got the horse. Whatever. They're all happy. None of them regret it. That's what I liked. Yeah. None of them regretted what they did. They all said, nope. That was yeah. the whole point of it. So would it be a hit today? My point is, or, or should it have been a hit? Um, oh, I think. Oh, God. Especially if you look at the top 20 from yeah. that period. Oh, my God. This is like a monkey in the room compared to the rest of the slots. This yeah. thing is moving. Uh, the rest of that top 20 was just pathetic. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it definitely should have been a hit. And uh, What do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, again. 1997, I was not really plugged into pop culture radio. That one cut through, and I was like, it's in earworm. It's exactly yeah. what you said. You hear it once, you never forget it. And yep. there's only so many songs that are mm-hmm. like that.
0: Yeah, I, know. I agree.
1: Uh, would it be a hit today? I kind of think it could. I mean, it's so weird, and it's so energetic, and it still sounds weirdly contemporary when you hear it. Yeah, uh, It doesn't really sound like something that is, what is that, like 25 years old? Uh, more than 25 years
0: ago. No. Uh-uh. no, I so, agree. Uh, I think it has some modern instrumentation. It's got the blast of horns. It's got that chant. Um, they still play it at big sporting events, and everybody gets up and starts dancing. So, yep. oh yeah, I think it would be a hit today. I mean, it'd have to get pl- airtime. Yeah. You'd have, I mean, if it could get airtime, it would be a hit.
1: Sure, but I'm saying just on its own, like on its yeah. own merits. I, I definitely think it still sounds contemporary, and it's like, you know, I, I could easily see it being in like guardians of the galaxy six and suddenly being another chart hit all over again.
0: Oh, totally. You know? All right, man. I love this one. Um, Thank you, Tim. Hey, we really appreciate you guys watching this as always. If you want to comment on this, if you think Chumbawamba was actually a sellout, let us know. If you think something was a horrible piece of music, let us know. Um, And if you just want to talk to us, let us know, just get in the comments and we'd love for you to subscribe and we'll talk to you next time. Tim. Don't like, don't subscribe. No corny no (laughs) that's okay (laughs) hey that might work (laughs) all right bye hey if you like what you hear like and subscribe it really means a lot and we would love to have you coming back every week thank you